Book Eight, Chapter Eight of Amelia, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Amelia, Volume Two by Henry Fielding. Book Eight, Chapter Eight. Consisting of Grave Matters while innocence and cheerful hope in spite of the malice of fortune closed the eyes of the gentle amelia on her homely bed and she enjoyed a sweet and profound sleep the colonel lay restless all night on his down his mind was affected with a kind of ague fit sometimes scorched up with flaming desires and again chilled with the coldest despair there is a time i think according to one of our poets when lust and envy sleep this i suppose is when they are well gorged with the food they most delight in but while either of these are hungry nor poppy nor mandragora nor all the drowsy syrups of the east will ever medicine them to slumber the colonel was at present unhappily tormented by both these fiends his last evening's conversation with amelia had done his business effectually the many kind words she had spoken to him the many kind looks she had given him as being she conceived the friend and preserver of her husband had made an entire conquest of his heart thus the very love which she bore him as the person to whom her little family were to owe their preservation and happiness inspired him with thoughts of sinking them all in the lowest abyss of ruin and misery and while she smiled with all her sweetness on the supposed friend of her husband she was converting that friend into his most bitter enemy friendship take heed if woman interfere be sure the hour of thy destruction's near these are the lines of vanbrugh and the sentiment is better than the poetry to say the truth as a handsome wife is the cause and cement of many false friendships she is often too liable to destroy the real ones thus the object of the colonel's lust very plainly appears but the object of his envy may be more difficult to discover nature and fortune had seemed to strive with a kind of rivalship which should bestow most on the colonel the former had given him person parts and constitution in all which he was superior to almost every other man the latter had given him rank in life and riches both in a very eminent degree whom then should this happy man envy here lest ambition should mislead the reader to search the places of the great we will direct him at once to gray's inn lane where in a miserable bed in a miserable room he will see a miserable broken lieutenant in a miserable condition with several heavy debts on his back and without a penny in his pocket this and no other was the object of the colonel's envy and why because this wretch was possessed of the affections of a poor little lamb which all the vast flocks that were within the power and reach of the colonel could not prevent that glutton's longing for and sure this image of the lamb is not improperly adduced on this occasion for what was the colonel's desire but to lead this poor lamb as it were to the slaughter 
in order to purchase a feast for a few days by her final destruction and to tear her away from the arms of one where she was sure of being fondled and caressed all the days of her life while the colonel was agitated with these thoughts his greatest comfort was that amelia and booth were now separated and his greatest terror was of their coming again together from wishes therefore he began to meditate designs and so far was he from any intention of procuring the liberty of his friend that he began to form schemes of prolonging his confinement till he could procure some means of sending him away far from her in which case he doubted not but of succeeding in all he desired he was forming this plan in his mind when a servant informed him that one sergeant atkinson desired to speak with his honour the sergeant was immediately admitted and acquainted the colonel that if he pleased to go and become bail for mr booth another unexceptionable housekeeper would be there to join with him this person the sergeant had procured that morning and had by leave of his wife given him a bond of indemnification for the purpose the colonel did not seem so elated with this news as atkinson expected on the contrary instead of making a direct answer to what atkinson said the colonel began thus i think sergeant mr booth had told me that you was foster brother to this lady she is really a charming woman and it is a thousand pities she should ever have been placed in the dreadful situation she is now in there is nothing so silly as for subaltern officers of the army to marry unless where they meet with women of very great fortunes indeed what can be the event of their marrying otherwise but entailing misery and beggary on their wives and their posterity ah sir cried the sergeant it is too late to think of those matters now to be sure my lady might have married one of the top gentlemen in the country for she is certainly one of the best as well as one of the handsomest women in the kingdom and if she had been fairly dealt by would have had a very great fortune into the bargain indeed she is worthy of the greatest prince in the world and if i had been the greatest prince in the world i should have thought myself happy with such a wife but she was pleased to like the lieutenant and certainly there can be no happiness in marriage without liking look ye sergeant said the colonel you know very well that i am the lieutenant's friend i think i have shown myself so indeed your honour hath quoth the sergeant more than once to my knowledge but i am angry with him for his imprudence greatly angry with him for his imprudence and the more so as it affects a lady of so much worth she is indeed a lady of the highest worth cries the sergeant poor dear lady i knew her and please your honour from her infancy and the sweetest tempered best-natured lady she is that ever trod on english ground i have always loved her as if she was my own sister nay she hath very often called me brother and i have taken it to be a greater honour than if i was to be called a general officer what pity it is said the colonel that this worthy creature should be exposed to so much misery by the thoughtless behaviour of a man who though i am his friend i cannot help saying hath been guilty of imprudence at least why could he not live upon his half-pay what had he to do to run himself into debt in this outrageous manner i wish indeed cries the sergeant he had been a little more considerative but i hope this will be a warning to him 
how am i sure of that answered the colonel or what reason is there to expect it extravagant is the vice of which men are not so easily cured i have thought a great deal of this matter mr sergeant and upon the most mature deliberation i am of the opinion that it will be better both for him and his poor lady that he should smart a little more your honour sir to be sure is in the right replied the sergeant but yet sir if you will pardon me for speaking i hope you will be pleased to consider my poor lady's case she suffers all the while as much or more than the lieutenant for i know her so well that i am certain she will never have a moment's ease till her husband is out of confinement i know women better than you sergeant cries the colonel they sometimes place their affections on a husband as children do on their nurse and they are both to be weaned i know you sergeant to be a fellow of sense as well as spirit or i should not speak so freely to you but i took a fancy to you a long time ago and i intend to serve you but first i ask you this question is your attachment to mr booth or his lady certainly sir said the sergeant i must love my lady best not but i have a great affection for the lieutenant too because i know my lady hath the same and indeed he hath been always very good to me as far as was in his power a lieutenant your honour knows can't do a great deal but i have always found him my friend upon all occasions you say true cries the colonel a lieutenant can do but little but i can do much to serve you and will too but let me ask you one question who was the lady whom i saw last night with mrs booth at her lodgings here the sergeant blushed and repeated the lady sir ay a lady a woman cries the colonel who supped with us last night she looked rather too much like a gentlewoman for the mistress of a lodging-house the sergeant's cheeks glowed at this compliment to his wife and he was just going to own her when the colonel proceeded i think i never saw in my life so ill-looking sly demure a uh, the i would give something methinks to know who she was i don't know indeed cries the sergeant in great confusion i know nothing about her i wish you would inquire said the colonel and let me know her name and likewise what she is i have a strange curiosity to know and let me see you again this evening exactly at seven and will not your honour then go to the lieutenant this morning said atkinson it is not in my power answered the colonel i am engaged another way besides there is no haste in this affair if men will be imprudent they must suffer the consequences come to me at seven and bring me all the particulars you can concerning that ill-looking jade i mentioned to you for i am resolved to know who she is and so good morrow to you sergeant be assured i will take an opportunity to do something for you though some readers may perhaps think the sergeant not unworthy of the freedom with which the colonel treated him yet that haughty officer would have been very backward to have condescended to such familiarity with one of his rank had he not proposed some design from it in truth he began to conceive hopes of making the sergeant instrumental to his design on amelia in other words to convert him into a pimp an office in which the colonel had been served by atkinson's betters and which as he knew it was in his power very well to reward him he had no apprehension that the sergeant would decline an opinion which the sergeant might have pardoned 
though he had never given the least grounds for it since the colonel borrowed it from the knowledge of his own heart this dictated to him that he from a bad motive was capable of desiring to debauch his friend's wife and that the same heart inspired him to hope that another from another bad motive might be guilty of the same breach of friendship in assisting him few men i believe think better of others than of themselves nor do they easily allow the existence of any virtue of which they perceive no traces in their own minds for which reason i have observed that it is extremely difficult to persuade a rogue that you are an honest man nor would you ever succeed in the attempt by the strongest evidence was it not for the comfortable conclusion which the rogue draws that he who proves himself to be honest proves himself to be a fool at the same time End of chapter eight